The reading is from Luke chapter 14, beginning at verse 25. Large crowds were travelling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able, with 10,000 men, to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Well, usually on a Sunday, I like to come to church, uh, read a happy passage in the Bible, which will give me good vibes, and so I can finish off church and go home happy. Unfortunately, tonight, we don't have such a passage. Jesus does give us happy passages in the Bible, but he also gives us sometimes hard words in the Bible. And they're equally good for us, and it's important for us to actually listen to him speak to us through the easy and the happy passages, as well as the hard and soul-searching passages. And we're going to do that tonight. Now, we've been looking for ourselves through a, a series called The Portrait of a Disciple, looking at different aspects of followers of Jesus. And last week we saw that one of the aspects of a disciple is someone who put Jesus above all the material possessions. Well, tonight we're going to see the flip side, if you like, of that. We're going to see that a follower of Jesus is someone who puts Jesus above all of his relationships in life. And Jesus will speak about this in three ways. At first, he'll talk about allegiance to him. And we're going to spend a lot of our time on this, so don't worry if I'm still on point one after 15 minutes, we will get faster. So we're going to look at allegiance first. We're going to spend a little bit of time looking at budget. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, there's actually a budget. Be sure you can pay it. And lastly, Jesus will show us a picture of a fake disciple. So allegiance, budget, and fake. Let's look at the allegiance first. And we'll see that in verses 25 through 27. It says this, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, when we first read this, these, verse, these verses, the thing that jumps out at us straight away is the word hate. Jesus is telling us to hate our fathers, mothers, wives, and children, and, and our brothers and sisters. Can this be right? Is Jesus saying we should hate these people? Well, no, he's not saying that. Not literally, but what does he mean? Well, we know that Jesus isn't saying that because in the Old Testament, in, in the, the Ten Commandments, God says, honor your mother and your father. 
Jesus wouldn't be contradicting God and saying, now hate your parents. We also see that later on, a guy called Paul says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, he got this teaching ultimately from Jesus. So Jesus is clearly not saying right now, well, you should hate your wife. Jesus also teaches in other parts of the Bible, love others as you love yourself. And also he says, love others as I have loved you. And how did he love us? He came from heaven to earth to walk amongst us, live amongst us, teach us, and then ultimately to suffer for us and die for us. Jesus came to love us like this, so clearly he's not telling us to hate other people after he's telling us to love other people like he loved us. So what is Jesus actually saying? Well, Jesus is actually saying, you know, that there's, these are normal relationships in your life. Parents, spouses, children, um, friends, brothers and sisters, and we all love them. But we are to love Jesus so much more that our great love for these people will seem comparatively like hate towards them because we love him so much more. Now, Jesus also tells us earlier on, he also speaks rhetorically as a pastor, as a preacher, rhetorically. If you scroll up in your Bibles to the beginning of chapter 14, you'll see that Jesus actually says, when you hold a dinner party, don't invite your friends, but rather invite the poor people. Don't invite the rich and famous who will invite you back, but rather invite those who have nothing. And in so doing, you'll actually reap rewards from heaven. Now, Jesus is not literally saying you can never have dinner with your friends again, but he's employing a rhetorical device, isn't he? He's, he's showing you a, a very big contrast so he can get his point. Now, we do it all the time in real life, don't we? Um, we always hear politicians saying, Australia's the best country in the world. Or a headmaster will say, our school is the best school in all of Australia. Yeah? We do this all the time, and Jesus is employing the same rhetorical device to catch our attention so that we actually listen to him and realize how big it is, the difference between our love for him and our love for other people. So he uses the word hate. But notice also what he says. If you want to be a disciple of mine and you don't love me so much more than those important relationships in your life that they seem like hate, then what? Then you can just be a mediocre Christian. He doesn't say that. Then you can be a really slack Christian. He doesn't say that either. He says, if you don't love me more than all the other relationships in your life so they look like hate, you cannot be my disciple. Jesus is claiming our allegiance to him way above any other religion, way above any relationship. Not just a little bit above our wives and husbands and children and friends, but a lot above. And if you're not willing to do that, he says, you cannot follow me. You cannot be my disciple. Now, as I'm saying this, a lot of us are thinking, oh my goodness, this sounds very busy. It sounds like a lot to do. What does it even look like? Well, there's a thousand examples in there. Let me give you a few. First of all, honoring our parents is very important. The Bible teaches to do that. But at some point, you've got to actually say, you know, as much as I love my parents and I cherish them, I care for them, I'm going to obey Jesus, love Jesus even more than them. Uh, a few years ago, there was a guy in his 20s, uh, he came to baptism class. And he came to baptism class for four weeks, and at the end, he said to me, I don't want to go through with baptism. So I said, oh, why? He said, because oh, my parents are really against me being baptized, and I want to honor them. So, fair enough. Six months later, he came back to baptism class, and at the end of this time, he also said to me, I don't want to go through with baptism because my parents are against it. In fact, my father isn't going to come if I get baptized. I said, okay, fair enough. And so he didn't get baptized. 
And then six months later, he came back again to baptism class. And this time at dinner baptism class, he said, I'm going to get baptized. My parents are against it. And my dad won't come. But I have to obey God above even them. And so he went ahead and got baptized. Now, here's one example of someone who loved his parents, but he loved Jesus more and wanted to honor Jesus more, even above his parents. Um, it also happens in our marriage life, doesn't it? Our husbands and wives. Uh, Jesus is calling us to love our wives and husbands. Of course we should, but to love him even more. Uh, we, oftentimes spend a, we often spend a lot of time and effort uh, making our husbands and wives happy, making them comfortable, making, helping them enjoy their life. You know, we even have a saying, happy wife, happy life. Uh, I don't know why it doesn't say happy husband, happy life, but it always seems to be happy wife, happy life, maybe because it rhymes. Um, but Jesus is saying, yeah, of course you should make your wife, you should make your husband happy, comfortable, but Jesus says more than that. I want you to relate to your husband and wife in such a way that you two will become more like Jesus. I want you to want for them not what they want, what the world wants, or what you want, but I want you to want for them what I want. And so maybe the saying should be changed. Not so much happy wife or happy husband, happy life, but godly wife, godly life, godly husband, godly life. You see, if your wife or your husband is a Christian, then they're going to have godly tendencies. And oftentimes what makes them happy will actually be honoring to God. And that's great. Praise God for that. But also, your wife and your husband and yourself, we're all still sinful, aren't we? And sometimes what makes us happy is sinful. And it doesn't honor Jesus. And at that point, what we want for our husbands and wives is not for them to be happy, because they'll choose the sinful option, and so will we. What we want for them at this point is to be like Jesus. And so we will encourage them, pray for them, lovingly, patiently rebuke them when it is required because we want not just for them to be happy but for Jesus to be honored in their life, in the life of our marriage. And it's also true of our kids, isn't it? We send our kids and our grandkids. Uh, we, we want what's best for them to do well at school, to do well at sports, to do well at uh, their arts. We want to do all of those things because the world tells us that's how they're going to grow up being happy. And we want those things for them. And that's great. We do it. And we drive them all around on Saturdays. And then on uh, weekday afternoons, we spend so much of our time growing them. And that's the right thing to do. But God, Jesus says, you know what? There is something more important than doing well at school, doing well on the sports field, doing well in the, in the arts. And that's to do well with him, to honor him with their lives. And so sometimes we will have to tell our kids, we want you to do all these fantastic things. It's great but we want something even better for you, and that's for you to follow Jesus, to love Jesus. And so we want you to prioritize Jesus above even those other good things in life. Sometimes we need to do that. And as we do all of these things, what we'll find is that as we love Jesus more than them, we're actually not losing out at all because we're actually loving them even better. Because who's the wisest? Who's going to give the best to our parents, to our spouses, to our kids? Well, it might be us. We're pretty wise in some aspects. But God knows us, and God knows the world much better than us. So when we love them and encourage them to live God's way, we're actually loving them more, not less. We're getting to live like Jesus, which is the very best thing for them and for us as well. So it sounds like we're sacrificing something, but it really isn't when we put Jesus above even our relationships with other people. We love ourselves better. We love them better. Of course, we honor Jesus with that. Now, as I'm saying all this stuff, there's, there's a, people are thinking, oh my goodness, there's so much to do. It sounds like such a busy thing. And there's a thousand reactions in, well, not a thousand, about a hundred reactions in this room. 
Here's three, three of them. You might be one of the people who are sitting there right now feeling quite confident. I do love my friends and my family, but I love Jesus much more. And if that's you, then praise God for you. Thank you for your encouragement. Thank you for example. Keep on living this way and encouraging and setting an example for the rest of us. Keep on doing it. But also tonight, hear the big distinction. is not just love Jesus a bit more than your friends and family. It's love him so much that your love for your friends and family looks like hate. There's others of you in here who are sort of comfortable right now. Yeah, you know, I'm, I know I don't love Jesus more than my, my friends and family. In fact, there might be one or two steps ahead of him sometimes, but in all honesty, there, he's actually number two or three or four in my, my, my life. And you know what? I'm okay with that. That's super spiritual stuff. That's for those category A people. I'm not like that, and I'm, I'm fine with that. Now, if you're sort of thinking that way in your heart, then you need to hear the weight of what Jesus is saying. He says, not that you'll be a mediocre Christian, not that you'll be a below-average Christian, but you cannot be my disciple. So if you're sort of sitting there thinking, yeah, I hear it, and I don't care, then the encouragement tonight is to go away this week, do a bit of soul-searching, do praying, talk to a friend, talk to your small group leader, talk to your pastor, and just work at this. Because Jesus is actually very emphatic, isn't he? If you don't, we're not willing to put him above everyone else, you cannot be my disciple. Now, there's a third group of us in here, and you guys are sort of going, oh, gosh, oh, gee, I wish that Tom would get off the stage, and I don't really want to look at this passage anymore because it's a bit confronting, and you're sort of jiggling and saying, you think, maybe, I, maybe I'm not actually a Christian, maybe I'm not a disciple, because I try my best to put Jesus first above all my other relationships. I really try but so often I fail. I do it one week and I fail the next week and I fail the next week and I try and do it again and I sort of succeed and so maybe, maybe this, I'm not a Christian. And if that's where you are right now, then that's a very good place to be. You're worried about this, you care about this, you care what Jesus thinks about you and that's good. And for you guys, when you're thinking about this, the encouragement for you is to take your eyes off your own performance it is important to put Jesus first, but take your eye off your own performance and look at God's love for you, God's grace. In the very next passage, in chapter 15, what we're going to see is that Jesus describes himself as a shepherd who has 99 safe sheep he leaves behind and he pursues the one lost sheep. He pursues and pursues and pursues, finds the one lost sheep, brings the lost sheep back and celebrates. And this is the God who loves us. He's pursued us and pursued us and pursued us and he's brought us back And he's not going to stop loving us once he's brought us back. He's going to keep on loving us, keep on sharing his grace on us, keep on giving his forgiveness. So if you're sort of feeling, oh, this could be me, then, well, we still need, we all need to work harder, don't we? But just remember God's great grace, God's great love. He's the shepherd who goes after the sheep, and when he brings them back, loves them even still, and he loves you, and he loves me like that, even when we fail. Well, the very first thing we see here is that Jesus says, I want your allegiance if you're going to follow me as a disciple above every other relationship in your life. Then he changes tact a little bit and he talks about a budget. And we'll read about this in verses 28 to 33. It says this. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, Everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, ah, 
this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming at him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. Now, Jesus is addressing a large crowd of people who've come to follow him. Jesus is picking up in his popularity now. Now, some people come here because they really are followers of Jesus, but a lot of them come here because they've seen him do a few magic tricks, do a few miracles. Others have come here because, you know, he's maybe for a free feed. You know, he's fed 4,000, he's fed 5,000. Others have come because they're just interested in the kind of things he's saying, which is so different to the Pharisees. But they're just more like fans than real followers. And Jesus addresses this group of people and says, you know what? If you're going to follow me, you've got to follow me on my terms. It's going to cost you to follow me. You're going to have to put me above all the other relationships in your life. And he gives a picture of so two big pictures. And they both say very similar things. One is there's a guy who wants to build a tower. Things are calm. He's probably an architect or an accountant or something. He says, you have to work out your costs before you go ahead. Otherwise, you're going to end up with a half-built tower and everyone will laugh at you. If you can't pay the cost, don't even start. And the other is a king or a general. He's about to face an army of 20,000 men with his 10,000. He's got to work out whether or not his defenses with his 10,000 men are good enough to beat the 20,000. If he doesn't, he should give up the war and sue for peace. Jesus is, Jesus is not a, a, a soft salesman. He doesn't say, hey, come and join me. It'd be really fun. No worries. Fine print. You have to give up everything and make me above everyone else in your life. Jesus being honest and direct, come and follow me, but it's going to cost you. You're going to have to put me above everyone else. Now, in 18, uh, 1840-odd, there's a guy called John Franklin, and he wanted to discover the Northwest Passage to get through to Canada to the Pacific. And so, therefore, he, he went on this expedition. He got two ships. He got a whole bunch of men, 123 men or so, and he went on this expedition. And they prepared for this expedition, but they prepared in a kind of odd way. They had the usual preparations of getting shovels and picks and all that sort of stuff to go through the ice. But also, on this, he actually had a, inside one of his boats and his ships, he had a library that had 1,500 books. He had really nice glassware in these ships. He had really nice silverware. And the officers' names were actually engra- initials were engraved onto his silverware, plus their family crests. He was preparing for something, but it was more like a leisure cruise than actually a very hard voyage of discovery to find the Northwest Passage. They brought their military dress uniforms to dine in, but not very many, not enough warm clothes. And as a result of this, these guys set off, and they'll never heard from again. They didn't count the cost. They They didn't assess the right cost of this. See, they were putting together their dress uniforms and their little um, silver uh, ornaments, when in fact what they should have been doing was packing on their big snow jackets, their big ski jackets. They should have been putting on those. They should have been putting on their gloves for this hard journey. And they should have been putting on their beanies for this hard journey. You see, they should have been prepared for their journey by loading up on warm clothing, but instead they're worried about knives and forks with their, with their initials that they put on them and their family crests. They didn't count the cost properly. 
and as a result, they perished. And Jesus is saying something very similar to this. If you don't count the cost of following me, don't even start. Count the cost, count it right, and I'll tell you what that cost is. Me above everyone else. Let me take this off, it's a bit hot. All right. Now, the very last thing is Jesus gives us a picture of what a fake disciple is. Now, if you see this, it's a Sony PlayStation controller, but it's not Sony, is it? It's phony. And Jesus talks about a phony Christian in verses 34 to 35. It says here, Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil or the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Jesus is addressing this large crowd, and some of them are just following him to see some magic tricks, to get a free feed, to hear some novel teaching. And he says to them, no, you guys who are like that are like saltless salt. You don't have, you don't have me in your mix. You don't have me above all else in your mix. You're just saltless salt. You're like a Christless Christian. Now, Jesus here is using um, a, a use of salt we don't usually come across. So usually we think salt flavors and salt preserves, and it does. But salt also, if you put a little bit on your ground, I read, actually fertilizes the ground. You put too much, it kills everything, but you put a little bit, it actually is good for it. And if you put salt on your manure, it actually breaks down the manure faster, so then you can put it onto your soil and get some good crops. And Jesus is using this use of salt, and he's saying you're not even good enough to be, to be used as fertilizer. You're not even good enough to break down manure. All you're good for is to be thrown out. Saltless salt is useless. And Christless Christians are useless. We call ourselves Christians. So don't be one of those because all you're good for is to be thrown out. Now that sounds pretty bad. It is. But of course Jesus doesn't want us to be thrown out. He doesn't want those crowds to just all leave. What he would much rather is for us to get real with him. Now tonight we've heard some pretty hard-hitting words from Jesus. And we've been told if we're salt, if we're Christless Christians, we're worth nothing to be thrown out. But if you think that's you and, you and you're honest with yourself, then the good news for us is we can. Jesus invites us to get real, even tonight, just to go home and just say to Jesus, you know what, I haven't been taking you seriously. I've been at church for five weeks, five years, 50 years, but I've never really taken you seriously. I'm sorry about that. Please help me to take you seriously from now on. Jesus wants nothing more than for us to get real with him, to become Christ-filled Christians and salty salt, to be with him instead of being thrown out. So tonight we've seen several things, haven't we? We've seen that Jesus calls us to a disciple to, be, to give him allegiance, full allegiance, Put him above everyone else so that even the ones we love the most in life look like we hate them. He said, if you're thinking about becoming a Christian, I'm going to be honest with you. It's going to cost. You're going to have to put me above everyone else. Are you willing to pay that cost? If you're not willing to pay, don't even start. And lastly, he's saying a fake Christian is one who lives without Christ or without Christ as he wants us to take him. And if that's you, you're worth nothing but to be thrown out. But the good news is Jesus calls you to take him seriously, to get real, and actually love him the way he wants to. And he's waiting for you to do that. Amen.
thanks, Tom. We've got some uh, questions coming through. Uh, Tom, can you speak practically? practically to us about what it, what Jesus means to carry their cross and follow me here in Roseville 2020. Yeah, that's good. Um, well, you know what carry the cross means. Mal spoke about that last week. It pretty much means consider yourself dead and follow Jesus. And So you're not no longer building up yourself. You're actually in for building up Jesus. Now, what does that look like in Roseville? I think it really depends on who you are. I think each of us will do it in a different way. I think... Um, Chasing the sort of North Shore dream to the extreme might be one way that you might do it. Um, all of us have different motivations for doing whatever we do, but sometimes we just get swept along by what the world tells us. Advance your career, advance your career, make sure your kids get into great schools, make sure they do well, make sure that they're well-rounded, make sure they're, you know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with those things, but having said that, sometimes those things can take away from us wanting our kids to be godly, wanting us to be like Jesus as a first priority instead of our careers or our happiness or our comfort or our houses and stuff. So... I think the, the principle is you want to make yourself and you want to make your kids and your grandkids and also those around you as much like Jesus as you possibly can with the gifts and the time and the money God's given you and not just be chasing the stuff which the world tells us to chase. Excellent. Thanks, Tom. Our next question here is, how can I change my heart so that my highest love is Jesus? Yeah, how can I change my heart? That's the problem, right? Because if you don't really love Jesus, then I'll say, hey, go home and love Jesus. It doesn't really work. Um, I think I do this a lot myself. Um, I pray and I say, Jesus, help me to love you because I'm really bad at it. And so if maybe for you, if you're feeling a bit cold or a bit distant from Jesus, at least you've got enough to actually make you want to go back. So the first thing you want and the best thing you can do is actually ask Jesus to help you change your heart. On top of that, of course, as that comes, uh, there are some things which uh, involve a bit of discipline. You might want to get your friends involved, your, your wife, your husband involved, but, you know, read the Bible, download talks, listen to Christian songs. All of those things will help feed um, your, your worldview. Right now, we go to work all the time and we go to schools all the time and we hear what the world tells us and we, we love those things and we come to church for an hour and a bit on a Sunday and maybe small groups during the week and we get so little input that tells us realities about God. So feed... Feed your worldview by hearing and listening to sermons and um, talking to friends and praying with other people. That will also help you very much. But step number one, especially when I'm feeling very cold, is just ask Jesus for help because we're hopeless and he's the one who actually can. Excellent. There's lots of questions coming in. So if you don't get your question asked, because I'll uh, ask one last one now, make sure you come and see Tom after the service uh, or come and see myself and we can try and answer them together. But here's uh, just the last question, yep. Tom. Uh, what should you do if you are a parent of uh, young kids, toddler, babies, and it feels like that most of your week is spent being a servant to them, raising them, etc., and not having much solo time for your relationship with God or yeah. even spending time with your Christian brothers and sisters? So here's the questions. Is this loving our family more than God or is this just a season of life that is tough spiritually? Yeah, that's good. Um, the answer is yes and no. <laughs> um, the first one is, yeah, look, if you've got young kids, young babies, it's, it's going to take up a lot of time, and it's very hard to find self-time, right? So therefore, I don't think it's to say that, oh, you're loving your family more than God. Having said that, the way that you even spend time with your younger ones can be, yeah, look, let's play, let's do stuff, but also in the middle of play, we can actually read Bible stories to them, we actually pray with them, we can model godliness. So it doesn't have to be either or. It can mesh the two into one. And at certain stages of our life, we are very, very busy, and it's just very little time to spend time with God alone. Having said that, um, 
I find that when, when I was our kids' age, there's always time afterwards. There'll always be a pocket of, like right now with my kids, uh, they go down at 8 o'clock, and after that, we get to just spend time with each other and with, with God. And so maybe you can do that. But when your babies are very young, it might just be the two-hour gap between the feeds and whatever else. It, this is a seasonal thing. So that's the first one. Uh, the second one is, uh, does that mean that you love Jesus less than your family? No, I don't think so. I think God has called you to look after your family as well. And at this particular stage of life, you need to do that. But having said that, like I said, you can always incorporate God's stuff into it. 